0: For The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the 17th episode of the second season of NBC's This Is Us. This one was called This Big, Amazing, Beautiful Life.
1: It's a mouthful.
0: This is our first Deja-centric-only episode.
1: It's not our only side character uh, episode, however. If you guys remember, we had that episode that really concentrated on Dr. K and shared that episode with the firefighter who actually found Randall. And so mm. we got that that entire episode was just about those two and their, what they were going through. So this was not the only one. However, I would say that this one... It surprised me when we turned it on and this is this was the focus. I didn't know. We, we don't look in advance to see what the show is going to be about. So I felt like the tempo for me on this one uh, felt a little bit off.
0: After watching the show, I had to tell myself a few things to kind of put it in a, in a pers- proper perspective. Because as I was watching it, I was waiting to get back to the Pearsons. So I was kind of impatient with this episode. We saw on Twitter a ton of people loved this episode yeah. and, and it really tugged their heartstrings in the right way and all that kind of stuff. Well,
1: and I want to speak to that because definitely I would say that, again, I would, I would categorize it as a surprise because I didn't know that's what we were going to do. However, I think it was very eloquently handled and I thought that the subject matter was important and it, it did tug at my heartstrings. It did make me think and make me compare my life and the lives of the Pearson kids and the various characters characters throughout and so it did make me stop and think it was just at the time I felt like especially upon first watch I was like what is happening and impatient I think is a wonderful adjective to use because I think that probably if you had to describe the this is us fandom as a whole I would say we are rather impatient right (laughs) I'm not quite sure what that quality is about all of us but I mean we so badly wanted to know answers right from the beginning. So there's they started us off with this quick-paced anticipation of like, I want answers all the time. And sometimes, you know, when you're building this, you have to, you have to fill in, you know, these areas. And I, I hesitate to call this a filler episode because I don't feel it's that in the negative sense, but I do feel like that it's a whole lot of backstory that I didn't know I wanted or needed until after my second watch.
0: I'm not sure if I needed it. Just a counterpoint. I mean, I knew she came from a bad place. I knew her mom wasn't much of a mom. Now it is spelled out in black and white, exactly all those things. But I I had enough coming into it. If you had only enough time to watch 16 episodes of the second season or whatever... You could skip this one and, and still be OK.
1: I'm going to give the writers a little more credit than that, because I do think that that we were shown glimpses in this episode that I'm going to lay out for you in a little comparison, contrasting kind of ways here that I think will fill in for the other characters and I think does help us understand our Pearson clan and Jack, for that matter, um, a whole lot more if you really start putting the puzzle pieces together. So I actually snapped a picture of our whiteboard, and we'll put it up on Daily Review um, so that you guys can see how much that I feel like if you look at the different parallels that they offered under the heading of like what shapes our lives, what moments, what categories, what makes us who we are. And it's interesting because the whiteboard itself, if you just look at it without reading the words, it actually looks like a quilt to me, the way that it's all sectioned off, and they all come together to make this episode. And I kind of feel like that is a very metaphorical way to look at how a life comes together.
0: Oh, I get it. I I, I think I get it. I mean, this show is called This Is Us. It's a very intelligently named show, right? I mean... They didn't say this is the Pearsons, they said this is us, and they never really defined us. And so this show I think is meant to be much more inclusive than than just focusing on this one, you know, the the three adult kids of this family. So I get it. I just didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I okay. Well, I'm gonna challenge you as we go through. Um, if it helps you not just understand Deja, because I feel like that's where you've kind of stopped in your wanting to analyze this episode but understanding us us as people as as humans that go through the world could you sort of realize that there were these different little pieces that are put together so let's just start off with these kind of grander pieces and we'll we'll kind of suss it out a little so one of the things that we they showed a really great parallel was the birth sequences mm-hmm. so we had shauna at 16 giving birth to daisha you know there she only had her grandma and she was upset. She was upset because the father of Deja was not there and she was just sort of out of sorts. She was not a ready-made mom in any former fashion. Whereas they showed Rebecca and, you know, we saw the buildup for them. They were so excited to have these three babies. You know, they had little onesies that were knitted for them. They had, you know, a loving husband, a very supportive and encouraging doctor, a very happy, exciting time for that family.
0: Well, those shots of that delivery uh, were all in kind of that soft lens with the kind of a glow and very warm and all of Shauna, Deja and grandma. It was almost like they had the lights out. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was different. It was uh, the you know harder shadows and that kind of stuff.
1: I like that you point that out because yeah, they showed it to us in so many different ways. They also showed William and Randall's mother giving birth, and it was a home birth, and you could tell that there was so much more. You know tension going on there. And then with Randall and Beth having the home birth of Tess and realizing, you know, they also had grandma there, but they had grandma, mom, dad, and and everybody was like ready for this and wanting this, you know, excited for this, anticipating it. So I thought like, you know, okay, so under the whole idea and William told us this, you know, your life can be determined the quality of your life by... Who was with you at birth and who was with you at your death? And so I felt like it was, of course, very important that we started off with this birth. And it was interesting to compare and contrast all those things and realize that Deja from like day one was pushed away by her mom. And and the mom just wasn't ready to be a mother.
0: She didn't have a fair shot at it. I mean, 16 is just its it's not the right time to start mothering.
1: No, I can't imagine being in those shoes. There was another moment, um, you know, if we consider like your formative years, your very little guy years, where they showed Goodnight Moon throughout several different characters' points of view. So we have Grandma reading to Deja, and we have Randall reading to both Tess and Annie. We have Rebecca reading it to the big three, even while she's pregnant. She's already reading to the to the kids Interestingly enough and this is where I think that why I'm asking you to pull the lens back on why why we had to have this story was we had Jack reading it to Nikki and that was like oh that was a glimpse into Jack's childhood that we hadn't had you know we knew that he was very protective of Nikki and obviously very much a father figure for Nikki but. To see that that started at such a young age, that ni- neither parent was sitting there reading "Goodnight Night Moon, but Jack was reading it to Nikki.
0: This early stuff with Grandma Pam Greer, guest star. Um, I thought
1: she was wonderful, beautiful.
0: Is the one piece that I was missing in all the other episodes to know why Deja might have a shot you know, because she's that kernel of hope and goodness and seeing a, a brighter side of things that Beth and Randall had to like scrape away all the shit that, that her mom had piled on top of it. That's from growing up with grandma. After grandma died, shit pile. But before that is the is when those formative years you were just talking about. That's why I bring it up.
1: Yeah. and And I think that let's let's I'm going to weave that a little bit because there was a whole section about death and grief and you had, you know, grandma having that heart attack and having Shauna and Deja witness that the horror of someone dying in front of you. Um, They showed the, the little glimpse of someone twirling William's hat. I wasn't sure if that was Randall or William, but, but that nervous twirling of his hat of like, you know, this is when things were definitely going bad. Rebecca crying for Jack, you know, watching her express her grief. And then William, you know, sitting in the chair, with the box of medications after his mom passed away, and mm-hmm. the, the grief and everything, and again, if you had to pick out moments of your life, turning points, moments when you know you there was a fork in the road and you went one direction then another, you know these were the defining moments for these people. And after Grandma's death, going back to Goodnight Moon, they f- they flash back to Deja as just like the little four or five year old reading Goodnight Moon to Shauna. And that basically in that moment set up their entire dynamic. This was clearly just like maybe a day or so after grandma had passed and already Deja at that tiny little age was responsible for making Shauna feel better. You know, Shauna didn't pick up the book. Deja did. Mm-hmm. You know, so much there. Um, then I want to focus in on the cooking and the what I'm going to consider like those, those nurturing moments. And we had the flashes of Tess and Annie cooking with William. And again, they had that a little bit longer than... Deja did, even though it was like these, obviously these, this flash in the pan for them because William wasn't with them their whole life, but still just to have that loving multi-generational family. We had Rebecca baking with the big three, you know, showing them the family recipe. She was well-known for making her pie and, you know, that kind of thing. And just showing them how to make the dough and them joking and, and playing together. And then, you know, you, you flash to Deja and she's sitting there alone cooking
0: the alone cooking thing comes around a couple times in this episode and is bad news for her, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately the undoing of, of Shauna and Deja and really any chance of their future is is really interestingly enough for the lack of nurturing of Shauna. You know, Shauna doesn't come through for her. She isn't there the night of her own birthday to be with Deja. And ultimately that you know, ruins their chances of a good future together.
0: I never got pregnant when I was 16 and I don't know people that that did. So is it that she's just chronically stricken with immaturity because she had to be a mom so young that it's just like she couldn't get over the part where you get to be irresponsible for a little while? I, I would
1: say that partially. I mean, there was definitely that discussion between her and and Pam Greer where she's, you know, made a bad choice and left Deja home alone, which was a terrible choice. That baby was very young. Yeah. Um, And she had obviously gone off to be with a boy and and, you know, she could justify it. But, you know, Pam tried to tell her like straight up like, hey, you've got to get it together. And she apologized. But she also clearly had her own hopes and dreams. She's like, don't you think I want to be off with my friends at college? you know, doing all these. other So she she had hopes and dreams. She was not a dead end student. We know she ran track and she was she was somebody who had a chance to to be something. And the pregnancy, you know, ended that for her. And now she had to become a mom. But I would like to kind of like if you scrape it back a little bit more and you look at it, the fact that where was Shauna's mom? You know, you had Pam Greer as grandma and you had Shauna, but there was no mom in between those two. And so that says to me when you're talking about like, how come she doesn't know how to nurture? Why isn't she there? And so I don't get the idea that she had a mom that had done anything like that for her. And so, again, when we look at it, the idea of deja vu and I I sort of put it as. I didn't put it as cycles, but I put it as a repetitive, it happens again, but not, the reason why I'm not saying cycles is because I feel like that's like a beginning, a middle and an end. And it's not exactly that. It's like the same scenario happening again and again and again. It's just like repetitive Thing. I don't look at it like a circle. I look at it like parallel lines. Like it just keeps happening and happening and happening um, without any real like resolution and coming back to the beginning. You know, it just happens again and again. And that's where I feel like the cooking was, you know, she was left home alone, left home alone, left home alone, never with a beginning, a middle and an end until she cuts her hand, mm,
0: right. you know, okay. and then
1: that then a different cycle starts you know, in that case. So let's get into that for a moment. We, I have other, other parallels that I want to talk about, but but talking about, I mean, the big, big, big turning point for Deja was, you know, cutting her hand and needing to seek suddenly outside help. And we actually, this is a parallel moment to another moment that she has with Linda, the, the CPS worker, because essentially Deja has to stop hiding the fact That she's alone and she has to go seek outside help, which then from her point of view and, and from Shauna's point of view makes the situation even worse, which is not unlike the situation at the Millers. She steps out of the situation and exposes it to Linda that the Millers are hitting and that blows it up into making it even worse. So then again, another parallel of like you have to step outside your secret bubble and tell someone what happened and then things just went that much worse. So first of all, how did you feel like viscerally when you saw her getting out that I'll use the word can opener in the air quotes?
0: Uh, yeah, that, uh, that gets me right in the, in the, in the belly. When I see <laughs> stuff like that,
1: I was like, She's gonna cut her hair. I mean,
0: in, in more and less polite circles, I would say it makes my balls shrivel up. Oh but my god! The, you but you know, are the polite. listeners of this podcast won't go for that kind of language. You're polite. You're so very polite. I won't say that.
1: Okay, don't.
0: But yeah, I feel it. I feel it in my in my guts. Did
1: you expect that? That's when Linda was going to come into the scene.
0: No, what this what this sequence told me was something important was that Linda's been trying. For a long time, this is not just like she started working the day before, you know, she met Randall with Deja. You know, she's been working on this Deja thing for a long time.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it was curious to me. I wondered if the reason why Linda pulled Shauna or I'm sorry, the reason why Linda pulled Deja away from Shauna was because Deja was left alone cooking and hurt herself and had no one to call. Or was it the fact that she had been at the hospital? Like, so say she went to the hospital and immediately Shauna showed up from work. Would, would everything have been okay? Or was it the fact that Linda called work, Shauna wasn't at work, and when she asked Asia, do you have any other number to reach your mom? And she was like, no, I, like, I really don't. And and it doesn't matter that Shauna showed up at that point. It was like, is it that, that like, the chain of, of safety nets weren't there for her? For Deja. Like, I mean, anyone could get hurt. And Deja wasn't like five years old. I, I mean, she was obviously, you know, a young teenager, but still young, you know, that it wouldn't have been that terrible that she had been trying to cook something.
0: I'm not totally up on the CPS stuff, but I have filled out government forms before and they're pretty big on like checklists and like. Once you get to a certain amount of checks, then that means you qualify or are disqualified. Uh, okay. So You think she you just know, checked
1: enough boxes like an injury? At
0: home alone. No adult. Hurt themselves. Bad enough to go to the hospital. Mom can't be found. Mom comes in looking like she came from a party.
1: Uh, uh, and you know what? We didn't put it together at all or I didn't in the moment, but we, she had been out with friends. So chances of smelling like alcohol or anything else would be... I think high in that sense, you know, So I mean, Linda
0: couldn't say, okay, take your daughter home. I mean,
1: true. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And plus Deja was even mad. She was like, where were you? You know? And yeah. she was like, I was out with friends. Like, and the idea that like you were out with friends and the kid definitely expected her to be there. I think you're right. It just checked a whole bunch of boxes in that way. So this began the whole concept of where you sleep and how many beds have you been in? And that first bed being she went basically from like what appeared to be like a double bed or a queen size bed that she probably shared with grandma or Shauna to now sleeping on a couch in Linda's office.
0: That's a downgrade.
1: Even the small moments were so important there. Linda started to make up the couch and Deja goes, I'll do it and started to make it up herself. And Linda's face was like, what? Because even in that moment, Deja was still trying to take care of it herself. Even with the hurt hand, even having been taken from her mom, she wasn't allowing Linda to take care of her or even expecting Linda to take care of her, which was like, oh, damn, this is somebody who's like been taking care of herself for a long time.
0: That's how out of touch I am with this whole scenario is uh, I didn't know that this, you know, putting the kid on the couch was a real thing. But I guess she had to like, she had no choice but to work that night. It was nighttime. So so the kid had to sleep. There was no place else to go. So... This is what you got.
1: Yeah, no, this is what happens. I mean, this is exactly what happens. Then they they call around and I know it from the other side because we have several friends who foster kids and I have gotten like a text or a Facebook message that says, like, do you have a pack and play or do you have something because we got the call and the baby's coming in an hour? And we have to we need to do something. And this is from the foster parent side. This is not from the other side. And so I do know that, yeah, they just make those calls. They go down the list the Rolodex of parents who have taken the classes and who have said they would take certain kids, certain ages and stuff. And, yeah, this is how it works. And they just have to be paired up, you know, at three in the morning or whatever. This is how this is how it goes down. To really look at Deja's life and really examine how many different places that she slept, you know, from Linda's office to the Miller's bunk beds to the reading chair in Randall's room and Randall's home. And ultimately, you know, her big bed at Randall's house and then back to sleeping in a car.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, I mean, it that concept of like everybody has to sleep.
0: Well, then later on in the episode, when she gets a chance to sleep on the couch again with mom, she's like, can I? use my old bed. Is that cool?
1: Yeah. And I mean, how smart of her, right? I mean, she knew. Yeah. I mean, that glance at mom was like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I'm not going to say, here we go again and do it all over again. I'm not going back to the couch, if you will, you know, back in Linda's office because of something you've done. Let's talk about what Shauna did. So, we did have this moment where we we did get the fill in the blanks of Deja going into the foster system. We have her you know, time with the Millers and she met, meets Raven, that that other little girl. The
0: sassier one.
1: Yes. Hardened one, I would say. Right. One who uh, understood yeah. the system very well.
0: She, yeah, but she still got hit.
1: But what you're, what you're saying is she's not working the system good enough because she's still getting hit. And when, what I'm going to tell you is, no, it's way sadder than that. She understands that she's trading hitting for having a friend. And she understands that she's trading hitting. She's willing to be abused in order to stay in the same bed. So it's way sadder than what you just said. Mm. It's not that she's not playing the game right or she's an idiot or whatever opposite. She knows it could be worse. She knows she could be sexually abused or neglected in some way. But she has a nice big bed. And yes, she has to be put up with being hit. But she had but it was a bunk bed which meant she had a friend.
0: But does that mean she has to provoke this jackass? I mean, he's a jackass on his own, but...
1: I think it was part of putting up a front. You know, if you if you act weak, and then you're, you're lower on the rungs. If you act like you can go toe-to-toe with him, even though she's a very little girl, she can't go toe-to-toe with him. No. But if she can act blustery, she feels safer. She feels like she's not just a meek little mouse. And that's something that she points out to Deja, like, you've got to harden up, basically. You're quiet, you're sweet, you're soft. And, you know, she is one of the people who sort of teaches Deja that in order to get through the foster care system, you better start putting on an attitude. You better start being aggressive. And it makes sense to looking back to those moments where, like, she cut off her hair with Beth or her moments where she was, like, aggressive backed with Randall or Beth or the girls. You know, it's like, oh, this is where she started to know that life and understand that, like, in, in order to maybe protect, you know, definitely protect yourself, you better be putting on an offense as well, because you're too little to just, de- de- you know, uh, rely on a defense, you, you can't really defend yourself. So And that brought up this whole idea, though, of abuse and how abuse is trickled throughout this show. Jack was being hit by, we assume, his father. And then they showed a quick clip of Jack hitting a guy. Um, I think that that was maybe... The singer. Yes, yes. Um, and then I even would say that there was that, that scenes where you had Deja, where Lonzo had his guy friends over and uh, Shauna had to go to work. And Deja was like, I got to go. Like, I have a thing after school. Like, she had a hundred different reasons why she couldn't be in the apartment with Lonzo and his friends, mm. which gave me a real bad vibe. She, she definitely was tired of that situation and, you know, again, was trying to find ways to work on an offense. You know, like, I'm not just going to stay here and defend myself against Lonzo. I'm going to actually come up with a plan of why I can't even be here, you know?
0: Interesting. I didn't totally catch that. I just knew that <laughs> for my own self, just seeing the situation of mom comes home from rehab with this guy who, who, They go from one scene of holding hands and automatically the next scene is him yelling at her, right? Then all of a sudden the next scene is he's got this other guy and a wife beater sitting next to him on the couch eating like cereal or something. This is a bad sign. This is a devolving scenario. We've actually kind of lived through something kind of similar to that and... It just went from like sane to to completely insane before you knew it.
1: This wasn't our family. This was in college. This was roommates, you know, of where you you think you have a normal roommate and then she brings someone home and then he brings someone home and then things just get weirder and weirder. So, yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you. But again, it's sort of like the in the big quilts that is life. It's like the what you put up with in order to stay safe to carry on, to whatever you know. What are the different things that we all put up with? Something you know. So Shauna
0: feels safer with with Lonzo and.
1: I think that there's Bonzo. something. I think there's something about Shauna needing someone, needing a companion. She doesn't want to stand alone in anything. She's not, for whatever reason, she doesn't seem to have the confidence or the wherewithal to do it alone. So if it's not Deja, when it's not Deja, she's always looking for a companion of some, and it tends to be a, a guy, and. I mean, there's certainly those people. I mean, you've seen like people who, you know, you kind of joke that it's like they might get divorced, but, you know, they're going to be remarried in like two seconds. Yeah. You know, there's a reason for that. You know, look at like Don Draper, even, you know, it's like that serial need for a companion. Like you're never going to be by yourself, you know, and so Mm. that's part of her personality and part of what creates this this divide between her and Deja, because Deja is almost never at the top of the list. There's always somebody else who can offer her something else, whether it's intimacy or whether it's drugs or whatever it is. She's yearning to have this outside life outside of just being a mom. For sure. What did you think about that entire part where Deja does come back and has this box that she's made for money and she's like, "Okay, we're going to finally get this together, mom. We're going to put all our money in this box and then we're going to pay the bills out of it together. And they show this even like montage of them like paying the bills together.
0: Sad and predictable. It's like Shauna can gather enough wherewithal or inner strength or something to try to make an effort, but it tapers out pretty quickly quick
1: well it's again goes back to that weird companionship thing where you know they they are gonna get evicted and and deja goes to get the money box and it's empty and Sean admits that she has used the money to bail out lonzo i mean god dang how do you not explode how is that not a here we go again you know, you, of course, pick the man over us. Of course, you, you know, don't pick your own survival. You, you let somebody else's needs come before yours. Like, that's how we got here in the first place, which it's difficult with Shauna. I have a hard time with her because This Is Us has an interesting way of never really making any character the bad guy. Like, we don't really have a Negan. We don't really have like a villain for the sake of being a villain kind of person, right? Everybody's got a reason for their behavior. Such is life, right? right yeah. Okay, but Shauna, I have kind of a rough time because, again, you know, we can talk about she was very young when she had Deja, that's true, but she had she's a su- supportive- She's closing in
0: 30 at this point. She had a
1: supportive grandma, and at this point, Deja's not an infant, like, you don't- She's being a super support and helpful, and Shauna, like, never, like you said, matured. Like, she just stayed in this weird, crazy, immaturity place- that I don't know if that are we just supposed to say, well, some people just stay there, and that's just what happened. It was it a stunted growth situation like where once she became a mom, like she no longer grew and changed,
0: yeah, she stopped. We know uh having met people in their in their twenties in modern times that what twenties were when when our parents were twenty is totally different than it is now, right, and yeah. the people that are twenty now look at that whole decade seem to anyway as the the me period right so it is not the child rearing age that it, that it used to be and so maybe she fits into that mold but the sad fact is for her that she actually does have a kid so yeah
1: you don't really have that choice to have that mindset so what her
0: friends are doing and what her instincts say to do she she really it's 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 in conflict with her actual responsibilities
1: completely agree I felt so awful when Deja then tries to go and pawn her own clothes and anything she could find in her backpack and the pawn shop lady has to be like this is not a consignment so we don't take your clothes or anything and they zoomed in on grandma's brooch and i thought surely she was going to try to pawn that brooch she doesn't she does glance at it but that again gave us that little flash over to jack's necklace and you know one can assume that that's i think going to come from somebody within his family whether it was Nikki's. i'm assuming um, and then it went on to Kevin. And so it was interesting, that kind of concept again of like, what makes you who you are? What do you still hang on to? And, you know, that idea of that heritage, those heirlooms.
0: We don't even know the true importance of that brooch. We just know that it's from grandma and that's good enough, really.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, and I think that even though they didn't flash to this, I mean, Randall asking for the watch, you know, at at, at Jack's funeral was like sort of in that same vein of like having something. There's some comfort in having, you know, that your ancestors mementos, the
0: usness of this is us. I think so.
1: Yeah, I really think so. So getting back to that finances part that there was that whole chunk of the puzzle, too, is like how where you are with your finances define how your life becomes. So we know for a fact that with Jack, he was always trying to save money. Always trying to make something happen. And it was like always falling apart, you know, and him having to go back and ask his dad for money to buy the house. That was like such a a humiliating situation for him. But again, it was stemmed from finances and it shaped who he was and, and how he felt they showed him with the coupon book and we weren't sure if he was paying on the mortgage or a car or what, but he had the coupon book and he was sitting there like diligently paying, you know, each little coupon out of there. And, you know, here you have Deja and Shauna and obviously Deja between the finances with the money box that she that she made that she thought that would help Shauna. And then all the way to when you think about the finances, that's what brought her back to Randall and Beth by coming and asking for the money for the heat. Finances are what drove, you know, her path. Because had she not come back and talked to them that day for that eighty nine dollars, they wouldn't have had their interest peaked. Likely, you know, to to continue to scrape at that.
0: There is some of this stuff that that reminds me a little bit of you. Uh, oh my! That in your younger years, I believe there was a pond flute at one point. To. For some, for some spending, spending money, not because you were destitute. Maybe you just wanted some gum. I don't know. <laughs> you needed the gum more than you needed the flute, but still, it speaks to this idea of just scrappiness that uh, that Deja has that I, I've seen elsewhere.
1: Yeah. I can remember when you wanted to buy a Mustang and you came in the house and you said, Caroline, help me think of how to get the money to get a Mustang.
0: Yeah. She Uh, was the right person to ask.
1: Yeah. We were scrappy McScrappersons. It's true. And we both came from, um, you know, families that were financially stable. So that's not it. But even just being so young as we were, it was like our own money. How do you scrape together your own money to do stuff? I do want to talk about the idea of like relationships with moms and how that was a, a huge chunk, of course, of what makes you who you are. We have, you know, Deja and Shauna having this very sister like relationship, which if you remember when they were walking down the sidewalk and Shauna was like, oh, are you thinking about running track? And she starts to fake run like she's going to race her on the sidewalk. And she's like, I am not going to race you in the street, you know, like that kind of thing. Like They were very sisterly in a lot of ways.
0: Nothing like Gilmore Girls, though. <laughs>
1: Well, it's funny about that because do you know what the big fat difference was between those two women?
0: Drive, I think.
1: I think it's that where they put men versus their children. If you watch Gilmore Girls, Lorelai's biggest thing is that she's never brought a man home ever until Max Medina, which would be high school for her. Never, ever had a man in the house. Never, didn't date for like a million years, all that kind of stuff. And never, ever put... A man in front of rory you know and so i feel like that that's part of the big thing is like do you if if you are the type of person who put a spouse or a or a significant other in front of your kids then you're in one category and if if you put your kids in front of you know a new love or a new whatever then you're in a different category and the outcomes seem to be predictable and very different I feel like you can probably look at a lot of other movies and TV shows that are the same way, where you can say, if the stepmom is treated better than the kids, then automatically you know what that relationship's going to look like.
0: Murder the stepmom.
1: <laughs> right. Snow White. Enter Snow White.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Um, you know, but but think about all the variations of that in different shows and books and, and stories you've heard. I mean, it's, it really comes down to that. Can you treat them both well? Or do you put one above another or what happens? And I, that seems to be a huge shaping moment. But it struck me that like when Deja hugged her mom, when the mom came back, when Shauna came back, she hugs over the shoulder and the, the camera goes right into Deja's face. And Deja's face is not happy. You know, it's accepting, um, but like, OK, let's see what's going to happen now. And they flashed over to when Rebecca came, when Kate was had the miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And she goes to hug and they zoom in on Kate's face. And it's like accepting of this hug, but also sort of like, well, let's see what happens. You know, like, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to get the support I'm looking for or if I'm going to end up fighting with this person.
0: Good parallel. But ultimately, we know that Rebecca has always meant well. And I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: I know. That's why it was an interesting thing, right? Like what were I think I want to say that that was more about the daughter And less of a commentary on the mom in those moments. It was really about like sometimes as a daughter, you're unsure if you're going to get the support from your mom that you need in the moment. You're unsure. So you go to them timidly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Deja has more than a moment to worry about. Right. I mean,
1: absolutely. She's got years of evidence. But if you asked Kate, she would say the same thing. I mean, it's very, very, very different. But she felt somehow denied of that support. I can't, you know, I don't see it in the same way that Kate does, but it is very well illustrated that that is her version of her childhood.
0: So all these little tie-ins back to Pearson moments. Do you suppose that's a way of talking to people like me that were thinking, when do we get back to the Pearsons and saying, actually, she's a Pearson?
1: (laughs) Yeah. How far, how many minutes are we into this podcast? 37. So, yeah, I think that in 37 minutes... I just changed you from saying, I don't get why we're talking about Deja to 37 minutes later, you saying, wait a minute, we were talking about the Pearsons and how Deja is just like the Pearsons and how universally we've all had these moments and that they do, they are, you, everyone has these defining times when you take these little, you know, forks in the road. And so, yeah, I think you're exactly right. So now, even though it was a surprise to have Deja be the main focus of this i think that she was just a vehicle in order for us to be able to see how all these other stories are actually interconnected like i don't think i would have thought jack reading to nikki had anything to do with rebecca reading to her pregnant belly but when you read them all reading Goodnight moon it's very clear they want you to compare and contrast everybody's experiences yeah right yeah Okay, so I would say that the big, you know, uh, reveal here at the end was, for me, quite a surprise. I mean, we have Beth and Randall back at the car, you know, right where we left them previous episode. And they decided to bring him back to the house. Now, we thought for sure... That was going to lead them to offering William's apartment. Right. This does not seem like this is where this is going, I don't think.
0: The stepping out of mom was never really in doubt. It was more like, how but, was she going to it do But it was
1: in doubt. I mean, it wasn't when we were watching this episode. But the previous episode, when we saw the little preview or we thought we got an inkling that they were going to be evicted... It seemed so natural that Beth and Randall would offer them the apartment in the apartment building that it seemed like, no, why would they separate? Why would you think Shauna would leave when she was given an apartment and a place to to raise Deja in a nice, lovely new apartment complex?
0: Well, this is just night one, you know?
1: It's true. So maybe this is going to twist. I mean, we saw Shauna say she needs to leave and she can't take Deja with, but we didn't actually see anybody accept that or whether on day two... She's right back there and they have to start going over this whole thing again. How did you how did you feel when you saw Shauna's face when she was watching Deja that entire night and how she responded with like Tess and Annie and having like some siblings or watching the movie or or eating dinner? Those types of things.
0: Actually, kind of the dour look on her face was good news to me because I kind of thought she was going to be like. What are you two doing here? Get away from my car. Get away from my daughter. I don't need you in my business. I, was, I thought she was going to be a little more like that, like the, the previous times that she'd ever visited the Pearsons.
1: Right. She was definitely defensive.
0: And so that look on her face was sort of like this acceptance, you know, which is impossible for for a lot of people to reach, the idea that your kid is better off with somebody else than you maybe not permanently but right now for sure but i think that that's that face was summing up you know just like uh man this is she's much better off here i can't give her anything like this no matter how i try
1: well and i agree and definitely the whole portion where she seemed to actually recognize that deja's facial features softened When she was in the Pearsons home, you know, if you think about like all the times, I mean, flash over to when she has to tell Linda that the Millers are hitting them. Her frown is so deep and so real, you know, and I mean, she her eyes are filled with tears in so many scenes of this episode that to actually see her with, you know, Randall and Beth and the girls and watching a movie and being silly was just so natural and easy and comfortable and relaxed. And I give Lyric Ross a ton of credit for how she did play these different parts, you know, the the fearful, abused foster child, the the trying to be confident, but like paper thin kiddo trying to hang on to, you know, a very adult life with Shauna, you know, or her her real terror of not being able to find her mom when she cut her hand to the really relaxed, expression of of happiness with the Pearsons I think that the culmination of her being on the bed sitting there talking with Randall and having this epiphany that you know when you told me that you saw yourself in me I thought it was crazy you know I thought that that didn't make any sense but the more that I examine my own life and realize that like everybody sleeps and everybody has these other needs too things that make them happy things that make them sad That I realized, like, you know, basically she saw herself as a person and as an equal to Randall and the rest of the family. Whereas before she always looked at herself as less than and and not certainly not having the same life.
0: At least an outsider.
1: Yeah. And that and that they had nothing in common. They had nothing in common when in reality they had so much in common. And they spent an entire episode showing us how much all the different characters and humans in general have in common you know whether you're sleeping on the floor whether you're rich poor whatever it doesn't matter there's certain parts to you that are just innately the same
0: when well, how much she ultimately matches up with randall i mean if randall had stayed with william he would have had a single parent
1: who, who had no idea drug, what to do who was doing drugs at the time that randall was given up he, he was actively doing drugs
0: So yeah, the flip side is, this is sort of like Randall's uh, paying it forward or paying it backward, (laughs) (laughs) however you want to look at it.
1: I like that. Yeah. No, I think that that's true. So how did you feel at that part? And I know you only watched this episode once. I've watched it twice. There's that part at the end where she goes, "Um, I, I feel so tired. I'm so tired.
0: Physically, that makes a whole lot of sense. Sleeping in cars is not the most refreshing thing in the world, but that's not what she means. She means that she's been running since grandma died, just always on the move, always on the the defensive, now recently on the offensive. And that is just a physically, emotionally wearing state to keep your body in.
1: And I feel like she's had like the weight of the world on her. You know, even from birth, it feels like the weight of the world was on her. You know, from from the grief and the, you know, reading the book to her mom to worrying about the finances to trying to grapple with how much abuse is an acceptable amount of abuse if you can still get along with your day and you know having to teach herself all those life skills like cooking and having to worry about where you sleep at night I mean all of those things I just can't even imagine her psyche must just be so utterly exhausted it was so apparent that that that's how it all culminated for her and I really appreciated that Randall was like I know sweetheart and just you know put a put his arm around her and was is extremely accepting of you know where she's at right now so now that we have this ending where Shauna is just apparently going to walk away. Do you think she's going to officially walk away? Is this really the the ending between Shauna and Deja or no way with a name like Deja, a.k.a. Deja Vu, that mom's got to come popping back up.
0: Randall has gone so many different ways for me. Could he be the guy that says, see ya, <laughs> better off without you? Or is he more like going to be the one that comes up with the idea or okays the idea of this apartment thing? Because... Either way, I mean, it feels like you'd still be like, if I catch any losers over but there. But you can't even do that. You're I mean, how,
1: how do you do that after Deja just said, I'm really tired to you upstairs? Like, how do you then come down and say, hey, let me set this all up so where I can send this really exhausted kid back under your wing again, again. Yeah. How do you do it? How do you do it?
0: I'm totally open for Randall just saying, you're right, uh, Shauna, you're, you're, she's better off with us. Uh, you know, leave a forwarding address. Thanks.
1: I can't decide what's up. I feel like it's going to be a pretty major scene Um, any which way. After having the experience with Randall and William and having Rebecca make the choice to keep them separated because she thought it was better for Randall, and I can't believe that he would make that same choice where he would... Not have Shauna be a part of Deja's life in in a more I don't know maybe even a very supervised controlled way but at the same time I just think that there's no way that he would give his seal of approval for the parent to go in a different direction of course it's not exactly the same but I just I can't I just don't see him signing off on that
0: well that my friend is why we watch the show
1: yeah it's exciting to kind of figure out like how what choices will they make how will this resolve. I don't know. And what's even really the best thing for Deja? I don't know. Is it to be with Shauna, be with Shauna sometimes, be with the Pearsons? I don't know. I don't know what the best case is.
0: Yeah, I guess, it, I mean, depends on what your definition of best is. Right? I don't know,
1: because if you look at William, you know, in that whole scenario, he would say that he made the best choice in having Randall go live with Jack and Rebecca. So then in that case, that would be a situation of not having the biological parent raise was, was probably for the best. But you know, I don't know. I I wonder now that Randall will have a choice here. Will they pursue adoption of, of Deja? Will they just be sort of like a supportive uncle and aunt that's there all the time that check in or, or how will this work? I just don't know. So we will have to learn uh, what will happen, although this next episode is going to focus heavily on, it appears, the wedding of Toby and Kate. It's got to. <laughs> I hope it does. I really hope it does. What do you think of this little glimpse of an older Jack? What is this?
0: I think this is going to turn out to be some kind of fever dream or something, <laughs> you know, like someone like Rebecca or somebody like that having just this imagining of what could have been, you know, I think that's going to be the the setup for it. It's It's well acknowledged that Jack is the love of her life. Miguel is... Right. He's cool.
1: He's the pal. <laughs> right. He's his pal.
0: But, you know.
1: For sure. So I'm really looking forward to the wedding next week. I can't really believe that we have to go all the way to September after next week's. I, You know, in thinking about this particular episode and how people had very distinct feelings about it, either good or bad, I do think that it will, it will play out just fine in a bingeable kind of way when people go back and watch all these seasons back to back. I don't think it will seem so like out of place or anything like that. But I do think that for all of us who are watching it one episode at a time, we're so eager and again, impatient to find out what's going on with the with the Pearsons that at times we have a hard time, like allowing the story to unfold at a slower rate. And I think this was one of those where we were getting a story, but it was just coming Open to us in a very stylistically interesting and important message kind of way. But at the same time, it was like, ah, let's get back to the Pearsons. You know, what are Toby and Kate doing after the bachelor and bachelorette party? You know, it's like we were all high on Vegas. And then now we came back to a a much quieter episode. Intense, but quiet.
0: And now we know. And I think that that's their way of saying Deja's sticking around for a while.
1: I think so, too. Obviously, she's going to be a part of this familia, which is great. You know, I think that she does bring her own layer to the family that will consistently be a touch base, I think, for Randall. And, you know, maybe remember how they were saying they might do this sort of like what could have been kind of feels to the story. Maybe instead of it being an imaginative what could have been when Randall looks at Deja, he realizes that could have been him. That was his could have been. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be the, you know, people have passed away sitting on the couch joking with one another. What could have been, you know, That's it right. provides that for him. So thank you guys so much for listening. We will expect to hear from all of you guys. We want to hear everything you have to say about this. We can be listened to on so many shows dot com as well as daily dot com daily review on Facebook and Twitter and always on iTunes.
0: And just for Ellen, uh, this is another week without Kevin taking a drink. So, you know, ace is for Kevin. <laughs>
1: Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Thanks so much, you guys.
0: Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show.
1: Thanks for listening, pod people. Thanks for listening to my
0: mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.